So we're in week three of a nine-part series on people skills. And we've been, I'm going to start by just reminding us of where we've been. Uh, we started with kind of an overview of why people skills, why do we need to look at our relationships with people and the, some different components that make up good and healthy relationships. And uh, the bottom line is Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God, be in relationship with God. The second, he, they asked him for one, he gave him two. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the whole goal of this series is to, to hear from God and to cry out to God, would you help us love our neighbors as ourselves? Would you help us out of our love relationship with you to love other people well? So last week we looked at our identity because however we understand ourselves, whoever we understand ourselves to be, that is going to come through in how we relate to other people. And this week and next week, we're going to look at attitude because it's another internal reality that shows up on the outside. How we, how we choose our attitude affects how we interact with people. And then we're going to look at expectations, and then we're going to look to more external things. So we're going to try to work from the inside out because that's the way that Jesus is changing us, is from the inside out. And none of these talks, none of these topics are about self-help. We could approach people skills as a topic that way, like, hey, if you listen to people, they will like you, <laughs> you know, and that will help you, uh, but it, it's, it's all on you. You just need to listen to people. Uh, you just need to speak more encouraging words. That's self-help. It depends on you. But this, this series, our, our cry, our mantra, if you will, is God, would you help us? We, we want to cry out to God for his help and not rely on ourselves for self-help. So let's start our time by just praying and asking for God's help uh, with, with attitude and with, with this time that we have the rest of today. Heavenly Father, we recognize... Um, that you've chosen us to proclaim who you are to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you've also chosen us to proclaim who you are to the world around us that's lost and dying without you, Jesus. So we trust that you are with us and that as we relate with people, you will be with us just like you said in the Great Commission, that you'll be with us always to the end of the age. So God, as we look at our attitudes, I pray that you would shine light on my attitude and on every attitude in the room and our propensity to have a certain attitude. And would you make us teachable? Not to me, but to you, Lord Jesus. Pray that we'd learn and be helped by the greatest leader of all time, the person with the best people skills of all time, Jesus Christ, who still today understands people and how to best love them. We ask all this for your glory. Amen. So there's an American actor in the early 1900s. Uh, he was also a screenwriter, W.C. Fields, and he said this about attitude. Attitude is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances than what people do or say. And shortly after Fields died, 
a, a man by the name, he was actually a minister, a preacher, who, his name was Norman, Norman Vincent Peale, and he wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking in 1952. And that, I'm not an expert on, on this school of thought, but that book seemed to be a spark historically developing this school of thought that we know as self-help uh, that we, the, the self-help movement is largely tied, it seems like, to that book and to Peel's teaching. And basically what Peel taught was, if you want to be a happy person, think happy thoughts. If you want to be an unhappy person, uh, just keep thinking unhappy thoughts. Think negatively and you will have negative results. Think positively and you'll have positive results. Bad thoughts lead to a bad life. Good thoughts lead to a good life. And you're thinking, Ben, I thought this wasn't going to be a self-help talk. Uh, I'm just getting started talking. I'm not close to done yet. But I do want us today to kind of interact, interact with this idea of self-help talking. Um, And and I want us to start by just thinking, okay, who would you rather work next to or live next to? Someone who has, you know, like a negative outlook or a positive outlook? Someone who's always complaining or someone who's, you know, kind of finding that silver lining? And, and again, I'm not done with self-help yet, but just think about it for yourself. Who would you rather sit next to on a Sunday morning? Who would you rather be in small group with? And who would you more eagerly and openly share your life with and open up to about your struggles? For me, it's the person who's enjoyable to be around every single time. And so last week, I said that good theology, that, that's important, but that's not enough. We also have to have good anthropology. We have to have the right view of who God is, but we also need to understand who we are as people and the way that God has made us to work best. So this is just good anthropology to say, We enjoy being around people who are enjoyable, right? And the reason that we're doing this series is because if we as disciples, followers of Jesus, if we're oblivious to that fact, or if we expect that as we go on mission to make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus commanded us, teach them to obey, we just can't be oblivious to the fact that making disciples is a relational work. You know, loving God and loving people. And so we have to have people skills. That's why we're doing this series. Bill Hybels is a really well-known pastor. And one of his most well-known quotes is that the church is the hope of the world. And what he's getting at there is that the church is God's chosen method to show and tell that Jesus is the hope of the world. The church is people who are pointing other people to Jesus. But... That's a lot more long-winded, and so he just says the church is the hope of the world. But here's, here's the bottom line is, if people can't do the relational work of making disciples, because that's relational work, then there's a problem. At least there's a self-inflicted limitation. And so here's how that all ties into this self-help thing. As Christians... And this is true of me. I think this is true of all of us at some points and in some cases. We can be outshone by the self-helpers. The people who think, 
We just have to think positive thoughts, say positive words. And I, I guess what I'm saying is just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that we're a blessing. It means that we've been blessed. We've been saved. But we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. And that's something that scripture clearly teaches. We've got to grow up into this new identity that we have as Christ followers. So in this series, my hope and my prayer is that we realize and we embrace the fact that we can be changed into an increasingly compelling person. As we love God with all of ourselves, as we seek to love our neighbor as ourself, we should be a more compelling person next week than we are this week. And the proponents of positive thinking, they would say what we're teaching, we, we're not teaching stuff that's not based in reality. For example, the proponents of positive thinking, that if you climbed up into a tree and then said, I think I won't hit the ground when I jump off, they'd say, no, th- no, that's, that's not right. That's not reality. And as followers of Jesus, we know there is no ultimate reality. There's nothing more real than the person of God, right? And so self-help has an assumption that's not true. You can adequately help yourself. You can, in a sense, you can be your own God. But anything that is true of what they say is God's truth. And so today I want to do a little compare and contrast of good attitude according to self-help mindset And then God's attitude, we we quoted Philippians 2 where it says your attitude, talking to believers, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So a good attitude compared and contrasted with God's attitude. And we're going to look at it just out of the book of Philippians because this book, this letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi speaks pretty directly to this idea of attitude. So... uh, Again, here's the basic premise of a a good attitude is don't think negatively and think positively. And so I want us to see how what Paul teaches about attitude not only affirms that in a sense, but it takes it to a whole nother level. So when self-helpers say don't think negatively because you'll become a negative person, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. And if if we just stopped there, (laughs) I think that'd be enough challenge for the coming week. What a pleasant person that would be, what an enjoyable person that would be to be around. If they did everything, if you and I did everything without complaining or arguing. But Paul goes on, to say, you do this not just to help yourself have a better life, but you do it to show who you are. Your identity is blameless and pure children of God who are above reproach. In the midst of a world that's crooked and perverse, in a world full of darkness, Paul writes, you are to appear as lights in the world. So we don't just complain or avoid complaining or arguing because we know it's bad but because that's no longer who we are in Jesus. We've been to change. We've been changed to bring change. And so it's not just 
Don't think negatively. Don't complain or argue. It's show the world who you are. Show the world who Jesus is because he is the light of the world. So when Paul says that we are to appear as lights in the world, those lights should always be pointing to the light, to Jesus. And recently, uh, one of my friends had a family member that said a, a bunch of complaining things, a bunch of negative things, and then that person just said, well, I'm just being honest. You know, this is just how I feel to justify their thinking and their feeling like that made it okay. But this passage, God doesn't give us a loophole to complain or argue. It says to do everything without complaining or arguing. And Paul wrote this while he was in prison. So in case you want to play the circumstances game and say, well, God just doesn't understand how bad I have it. No, he does. He does. We really don't have it that bad. There is no loophole to complain or argue. And so a clear application of this for us is if you're upset, if you're frustrated by someone, or if you're frustrated by other things out of your control like the government or our culture, pray. Pray for them. And live a life that points to Jesus. Live a life that shows your identity. And I don't want you to misapply my application like there's never a time or place for sharing your feelings. But I do want to say even sharing our feelings, it should be filtered through, through why am I saying this? Does this show God to be great? Is this encouraging to another person? Or am I just saying this to serve me and to make me feel better? Is this the time? Is this the appropriate place for me to share how I feel? Is this going to help the gospel be extended? Is this going to help Jesus to be seen? Or am I going to cover up the light and just complain about the darkness that's around me? Let's, let's compare and contrast the other basic tenet of this positive thinking mindset. So the first is don't think negative thoughts. The second is think positive thoughts. And, and Paul says in Chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then in verse 7, he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It kind of sounds the same, doesn't it? Right? Rejoice, right? Think positive thoughts. Don't think negative thoughts. Don't complain. Don't argue. It might sound the same on the surface, but if you peel back that first layer, self-help will reveal nothing underneath the first layer. Just a good piece of advice according to them. If you peel back Philippians, if you peel back scriptural truth, God's truth, it's, it's not just be happy, it's rejoice in the Lord. There is something there of substance to have. It's not just... Don't complain or don't argue. It's because you're a new creation now. It's because you're a light in the midst of darkness who's to be pointing to the light, the Lord Jesus. So it's fundamentally different. Like, thank good thoughts. What are, you, what are good thoughts apart from knowing who God is? It's subjective versus objective truth. And so let's deal with this phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> 
Does that mean that I'm always supposed to feel happy, Ben? Does that mean that life under Christ's leadership always feels good all the time? That when someone asks me, how are you? I have to say, good. Because <laughs> if, if they say, how are you? And you say, oh, I'm not doing so good. You need to rejoice in the Lord always. Like, come on, man. That's not it at all. That's not, that's not what rejoicing in the Lord always means. In all seriousness, joking aside, this, I think this is something that people have struggled with for centuries and people in this room, I know for a fact, because I'm one of them, they struggle with today. If God loves me and if I love him, why wouldn't he make it easier? Why wouldn't I always have feelings of rejoicing? Why instead do I get stuck in feelings that it's hard to get out of? How does that fit in with God telling me to rejoice always? And if that's your experience, I just want you to know that you're not alone. Millions of Christians throughout Christian history and Jews before, before that, they echo your struggle. But I just want to say this about that struggle. Struggle is not sin. Struggle does not equal sin necessarily you might struggle and sin but in Christ you don't have to struggle and sin you can struggle and not sin so we might as well struggle like really struggle with this this tension of rejoicing always but not feeling it and and we might as well choose to not sin so for example I have inclinations towards selfishness or anxious thoughts or envious thoughts, they have something I want. Or thoughts of self-pity, oh man, I'm so terrible, I wish I was better. Those are struggles. But once you start believing them as truth, it's sin. Once you start acting on anxious thoughts, it's sin. So struggle does not have to equal sin. But when we struggle well, and we refuse to sin, or if we sin, we repent quickly and we confess whether it's sin or even we confess the temptation to other people around us. That's rejoicing. We don't think of it as rejoicing. might not feel like rejoicing, but you're saying no to sin. So you're saying yes to God being good. And that, that is rejoicing. And too often, I think we use this word struggle. We have a, a wrong idea. And I know I have used this word struggle inappropriately like I'm struggling with sin and what I mean is sin has been beating me up really bad but I haven't really done anything about it <laughs> that's not exactly struggling that that means I've been sinning we need to call sin sin and struggle struggle for example if you've been struggling with a specific sin but you haven't been spending time with God you haven't been memorizing scripture or fasting or calling guys or gals from your group or people that you know who can help you and pray for you through this, then you haven't really been struggling. You've just been sinning. And yeah, I guess you've been struggling with the fact that you've been sinning, but it's after the fact. What I want to talk about is struggling and struggling well so that we don't sin as much and we we we. We experience ongoing victory, increasing victory. And this is a command. 
to do always. So we just have to do business with this tension. Because the command says rejoice in the Lord always. And I want to take us back to that verse. And I want, you to, I want you to see the context immediately that Paul says this phrase in. In verse 2 he says, There's a disagreement between two women who were involved in my ministry. They had shared in my struggle, Paul says. My struggle in the gospel. Now Paul's saying, I plead with you two. Iodia and Sintichi. Agree with each other in the Lord. I plead with you. Agree with each other in the Lord. And then he says, I ask everyone else to help them. Everyone else in the church. You all help make them successful. And I just got to say, if Iodia and Sintichi had a disagreement, they had feelings too. I mean, they're real people. And the church had feelings. Maybe some sided with Iodia and some sided more with Sintichi. But Paul is saying, in this particular struggle, all those feelings that you have over this disagreement, choose. Choose to rejoice in the Lord. Choose to be unified as God's people. And in all things, with all your feelings, all the time, that's what always means, choose. Rejoicing in the Lord is not necessarily a feeling, it's a choice. So when we choose to struggle well, when we choose to not sin, even though that's what our flesh tells us we want to do, we are rejoicing in the Lord, whether you're smiling or not. You're rejoicing in the Lord. And this is an attitude, this is a mindset that we have to adopt. So God is not saying that if you're feeling sad, for example, that you're sinning. But I believe what God does say is in your sadness, in your feeling sad, don't sin. In your temptation, don't sin. Jesus was a man just like we are who's tempted in every way, yet he never chose to sin. I'm saying your feelings, my feelings, they're not a license to do whatever we want. They also fall under the lordship, the authority of Jesus. He's king even over your feelings. That means if you feel something, whether it's true or not, we choose to obey him because he's the king, not our feelings. So if you're feeling worthless, don't believe that feeling. <laughs> it's okay to feel that, but don't believe that to be true. Remind yourself of what is true. God made you with incredible value. His son's sacrifice for you demonstrates that value again. Choose to follow him. Choose to trust him. And if you're thinking, well, Ben, you're just a thinker. You're not much of a feeler. I'm a feeler, Ben. So I feel differently from you on this issue about choosing. I want you to hear me say this. I'm not saying that you can't feel or that you shouldn't feel. In fact, let's go back into the context and see how Paul felt when he wrote this. Few verses earlier, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, Now I say again, even with tears. I say again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So I want you to picture, and you can close your eyes if that helps you picture it, but I want you to picture Paul penning these words 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, I say again, rejoice. And he just wiped away tears or his tears were still moist because he had just been crying. He'd just been grieving those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he's saying, rejoice always. So this command to rejoice in the Lord always does not negate our feelings. It puts them in their proper perspective. It puts them in their right place. In Romans 9, Paul says that he has unceasing anguish. That means he's always feeling a sense of anguish for his fellow Jews. He was sorrowful. But then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he's always rejoicing. And you might think, is the dude bipolar? No. And honestly, even if he was, so what? He's choosing what to rejoice in. And he also wrote to the Thessalonians, though we grieve, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. He's letting the lordship of Jesus dictate every other area of his life, letting it influence every other area. Jesus is Lord of all. So our hope for us today is in the same one who saved us and who will save us when he returns but he's also saving us right now. This is the ongoing process of sanctification we've talked about before. God is not far. We can experience ongoing salvation, ongoing growth now, should we reach out to him. Let's go back to Philippians 4. Paul writes, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. And the things that you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In case you're looking for another verse to memorize, I'd highly recommend this one. And I just want to say real quickly that it gives us three ways to seek God and be saved now in the midst of our struggle. Not saved from struggle, but saved through struggle. That we pray, verses 6 and 7. That we think, and not just think about empty good things that you peel back the thought oh that's a good thought what's underneath it nothing no you peel back the good thought what's underneath it is the gospel oh it's jesus that's worth looking at that's worth thinking about and then verse nine here's another way that we can seek god and be saved be sanctified now is to watch and do be around other people who are committed to praying and thinking and to doing and, and, and once you see truth in them, copy it. They got it from someone else too. We all got it from Jesus when he saved us. 
So in summary, our application is really to prepare our minds for action, to choose our attitude, and not just to choose a good attitude because that's a good idea, that's good for you, but choose an attitude that's the same as that of Jesus. Choose God's attitude because it's available to us now. I mean, he came and died to make the good and abundant life available to us. So why not choose it? And if you don't know him today, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how bad you think you are, you can choose to make him your king. And it will change your life. Not instantaneously, necessarily, but over time, he will change your life. And as you see and hear people out in the world trying to find hope in this self-help life, trying to be positive without any real hope, invite them into life with Jesus so that when they peel back that layer of positivity, they actually have something of substance, some real objective truth and not just something subjective that gives them the warm and fuzzies. And as you do that, relationally, you can say, you know what really helps me when I struggle with anxiety? It's not just to be thankful. Like, being thankful is a good thing. Like, but to be thankful to God. Because I realize he's the one who made me. He's the one who's taking care of me now. And I can trust for tomorrow. However many more tomorrows I have. That, that's, that's what helps me with my anxiety. Or you could say, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my, my value, my, 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 my worth. But I've realized even in that struggle, it's not all inherently bad for me to struggle. Because as I've been struggling, God's been changing me. Like, I've been struggling towards godliness. And here's what that's looked like. Like, our testimonies should be ongoing to where we can pluck not just something that happened 15 years ago and share that with someone, but, you know, 15 days ago, this is where I was at. Here's how God helped me. Here's how he was my help in times of trouble. He's my objective truth on which I base my life. Would you be interested in hearing more about that? What's your objective truth? That's how we ought to react and inter interact with this lost, perverse, crooked generation that Paul describes in Philippians 2. God used the painful suffering and the struggle of Jesus on the cross to bring hope and life to a lost, undeserving, and dying world. And in raising Jesus back to life and ascending him to heaven, God showed the point. The point of all the struggle, the point of it all, is the glory of God. And so whether we're suffering or prospering, it's all for Jesus. He provides meaning to every moment of our life. Or at least he can, should we choose to follow him. So in closing, I want you to think about these questions again. Who would you rather have in your life? A person who's positive or a person who's negative? Who would you rather have in your small group? As your friend that you go to with your own problems, your own struggles. And I'd like to challenge us to aspire to be more than just encouraging people, 
but people whose encouragement is based on truth and reality. Connect it to the gospel. If people are put off by you because of the gospel, that's okay. But if you, or if I, am off-putting because of a lack of people skills, that's not okay. We are an ambassador for Christ. You don't have to be a perfect ambassador. Just a learning one, a growing one. God is making his appeal through you, through us. And there's so much more than just self-help, have a good attitude in order to do that well. It all connects back to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we do want our attitudes to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So please, Holy Spirit, would you point out any specific ways or patterns that our attitude has that need to be changed? Any selfish thoughts? or actions, situations that we lean towards complaining or arguing. We confess those things to you now. And we choose to rejoice in you. And we believe that we will encounter you. The God of peace will be with us as we choose to rejoice in you.